Father God, thank you so much for gathering us again today and that we can be gathered together uh, as a body that is unified. Whatever the distinctions may be between us, they're nothing before you, Father. We're all one in the body, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all have been granted every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished through Calvary's cross, his death for our sins and for the sins of the world, and then his glorious resurrection. Thank you that he's seated at your right hand and waiting for that moment to call us forth into heaven's glory. What a precious and eternal and blessed hope that is that we all share. So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. There are many things to be thankful for, Father, and certainly I thank you for the, this day that you've made and all the glories of it and for working in our hearts that we might know about you and might know your creative and your sustaining power and then the way that you've intersected with so many down through the years, Father, that you've taken initiatives with us that we might not be continually captured by the evils of this world or of even Satan himself. So, Father, thank you for the deliverance and the joy, therefore, that we have through our Lord Jesus. Um, we're thankful for so many things, Father. Father, I... I uh, I thank you for um, the liberties that we've experienced in this nation down through the years, and so many that were really r rather unprepared for hard times, and, and we see those times coming with great restrictions being placed upon our liberties by those ruling uh, in Washington and in our various other state governments and so forth. Father, I just pray for deliverance from them. I pray that you would interfere with their, what seems to us to be quite a totalitarian uh, view of what government is and should be. And Father, that you would deliver us from their bondage and protect our nation and protect our republic against them. We just look to see, Father, how you will work there. Uh, there certainly are great trials upon our nation and our people. May many be raised up, Father, and be very vocal and uh, stand up to be counted and counting the costs uh, to oppose these, uh, uh, these measures being levied against us all. Father, may we be protected from the virus, of course, as well. And may you guide and lead in that, and may we be blessed accordingly. And may we be blessed this morning, Father, as we open your word together. And I ask this in Christ's name, and amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. We're making some progress here as we've taken a, a break. It'll be longer than I originally planned to uh, consider what it means to rightly divide the word of truth, what some of the practical implications of that uh, are, and then also now to see uh, how this transition period between the preaching of the kingdom at hand with the associated uh, 
the marks of the kingdom being foreshadowed, meaning signs, wonders, and miracles, and um, all of that, and the transition from that to grace uh, with Paul's leadership. Uh, today we reach that section of the book of Acts where Saul himself is saved. It's just an amazing <laughs> miracle indeed, and we'll look at it pretty carefully as we go on this morning. Uh, I just want you to recall a little bit, though, from what we considered the last few times here, when we saw how God worked uh, in very visible ways in Jerusalem, um, first of all, through Peter's preaching and the giving of the Holy Spirit, as had been promised, the Spirit came upon many, and there were great miracles seen and experienced there through that. And that included uh, miraculous healings for many, and also a great work in the spirit of many as uh, they shared in this common kingdom expectation, shared everything they had with those that had need and so forth. And uh, that led to great unity uh, amongst uh, the believers. It also led to rebellion as some rebelled against the rule of God and were summarily judged. Uh, with Ananias and Sapphira being singled out there. Okay, well, we also saw that uh, there were other things happening that were even more ominous. And one was a growing rebellion uh, by the leaders of Israel. They rebelled at the beginning, of course, to our Lord and Ultimately, he was given over, right, um, to the cross. But certainly the disciples expected Israel as a nation to submit to God now that Christ was so visibly and dramatically uh, proven to be their Messiah. He was gloriously raised from the dead, and there were many signs and wonders certifying that and uh, that the kingdom was certainly at hand, in fact, probably quite near, one, one could have concluded. And the disciples certainly thought it was very near until the Lord said, well, wait, uh, that timing is in the Lord's hands. Uh, and uh, for now, uh, wait for the spirit. So there was clearly a signal there that uh, the coming of the kingdom would be delayed. But how much, how long, they didn't know. Uh, and the leaders of Israel uh, did not receive well Peter's preaching. In fact, uh, though many priests were saved in those days, the leaders of Israel, the high priests and so forth, um, were not receptive to Peter's preaching. Finally, in due time, and we don't know how long it was, probably not that long, but God selected out some men to uh, be sort of the focus of his work. One was Philip for a while. We didn't look at that. Uh, the other was Stephen. Though. Stephen uh, was uh, raised up and given great uh, power to speak boldly on behalf of the Lord Jesus and his glorious resurrection. In fact, he, he spoke at great, great length in the temple itself, and those who heard, the leaders of Israel were there listening intently, and uh, but their hearts were not 
um, softened by Stephen's words, but rather hardened. And uh, so in the end, uh, as we saw last time, they themselves <laughs> committed the great crime of um, taking Stephen's life through stoning. And there was a young man there who had brought the formal charge against Stephen. His name was Saul. And that brings us to where we want to start today. In Acts chapter 7. I'll just read that one verse. They cast him out of the city. This is chapter 7, verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Well, Stephen died, but as he died, he died crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he cried out with another loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And then it says there, he fell asleep. Okay. So even as the Lord himself had said, lay this not to their charge, they do it in ignorance, really, right? Uh, Stephen the same. Lay it not to their charge. It seems to signal, does it not, uh, that God will be a little more patient with the nation. But uh, how patient uh, is a good question. And we'll see that the patience of the Lord leads now to this great uh, transition period where ultimately grace reigns and law has been set aside. Uh, grace taking its place. So, Whereas law was magnified, and the kingdom law was certainly a great, great burden indeed, being progressively uh, applied there in that Pentecostal period, uh, grace would ultimately reign in its place. But God had to raise up a new apostle for all of this to occur, because the 12 apostles had a different uh, agenda altogether given to them by Almighty God. Okay, so that brings us to our uh, study today in the Great Transition. And uh, just just to keep it simple, Stephen is martyred, but Saul is saved. <clears throat> well, one could ask the question, why Paul? And I think one should. Uh, after all, there are twelve apostles. At this point in time, not 11, they've appointed another and the spirit of God was involved in that, I'm sure. Um, they had the 12 apostles and the 12 had been given uh, their marching orders. And we'll look at that first here as we begin. But let me give you the outline for today. The outline will be Stephen's death initiated the great transition through Saul. OK, so. The one led to the other. Stephen's death brought about a, a break in the working of God to, through Israel and the initiation then 
of a working towards the Gentiles uh, through Saul, who will be, as you well know, renamed Paul. So that's the first. Stephen's death initiated the great transition through Saul. Saul will be leading that transition as soon as Peter steps aside. Second point, the Lord calls Saul to salvation, to salvation through the very voice of Jesus. <laughs> That's dramatic indeed. The Lord calls Saul to salvation through the very voice of Jesus. And then thirdly, Paul's commission is revealed. Quote, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> Those words uh, will change Paul's life. Okay, but before we jump right into that, let me just ask this question, why Paul? I mean, one could answer that in a number of ways, and we will as we go on see the complete answer to that as we complete our studies in the book of Acts over the next few uh, studies. But uh, the, the questions would be why Paul? Why grace and why a new dispensation? All three of those have the same answer, basically, which is it was the great work of God to set aside Israel temporarily and to, to bring in a new work altogether that's specifically focused on the Gentiles. But what God had promised for his nation, Israel, will yet be fulfilled someday. And uh, there's no change to that plan. There's no change at all. It's just an issue of timing. That's what dispensations are all about. They're all about what is God doing? What is God doing? Not has he done or what will he do? But what is he doing today? Okay, so uh, to see how we might begin to answer the question, why Paul? I want us to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 19. I'd like Patty to read these verses for us there, where we see something more that we may not have realized, something about the 12 apostles that is very, very important to remember. So, Patty, would you please read for us Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, 
or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Thank you. That's quite a quite a speech indeed, uh, quite a message from the Lord Jesus regarding kingdom principles. And uh, certainly we see in that early Pentecostal period in the book of Acts, uh, the foreshadowing of all of that, don't we? Remember, uh, they were required to sell their lands and give the proceeds, right? And that kind of a situation would be maintained by the Lord with the children of God being blessed, nevertheless. Uh, but uh, the implication is they're all looking forward during those days to the establishing of the kingdom on this earth. And uh, so the 12 are given a com- given this commission uh, that they would prepare to rule. What? To rule. uh from 12 thrones, ruling over the world. Well, it says here, ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Yes, the Gentiles, according to the prophets in the Old Testament, will bring their riches to Israel, but Israel will be the center of the world, (laughs) with Jerusalem its capital in that day, right? Uh, So notice carefully what was spoken there by the Lord. Uh, There were promises given to the 12. Those promises had direct relationship to the 12 tribes of Israel. They're clearly kingdom promises, right? Meaning kingdom on this earth. Not the kingdom of God in a generic sense, but the kingdom that will be established on the earth, right? With Jerusalem as capital and Israel in the very center of the affairs of this world. Um, Notice that everlasting life was promised for later, not presently, you see. (laughs) They weren't said you have it. They were told that they would have it in that day. These are all contrasting, by the way, with what we enjoy under grace, right? Um, Then blessings are promised not for honoring one's family, (laughs) as Paul taught, but for forsaking them, that's what it says. It does say that, does it not? Blessings promised for forsaking all for the sake of the Lord. Uh, Oh, my. So when we come to uh, this chapter in the book of Acts that we're now uh, preparing to look into, we see the beginning of something new, a a new apostle called out, a new people of God, ultimately, um, the Gentiles and Israel being uh, increasingly set aside from the working of the plan of God. Well, a new dispensation would have to come with this, and uh, the law would be set aside and replaced. Replaced by what? The goodness of man? No. <laughs> Replaced by the abundance of the grace of God and its power. So a transition is necessary. There were other great transitions between dispensational plans. If you look back in the Old Testament, one of them I mentioned before it had to do with Noah. <laughs> that was a pretty great transition, wasn't it? 
took the flood to destroy the former world, and the new one started out with just eight persons, right? You remember when Abraham was called out, uh, he stopped in Haran for a number of years before going into the land that was promised, right? And uh, the previous generation died. That was uh, Abraham's father and so forth, right? Um, then we remember uh, a man named Moses and uh, how there was a wandering for 40 years while the previous generation died off, right? And God then uh, brought the children of Israel under Joshua into the promised land. So dispensational changes are quite dramatic uh, often. And in fact, I guess I should say always quite dramatic. <laughs> they're not always the same, but they're always dramatic. Well, think about one yet coming in the future, right? Uh, the end of the previous dispensation of the, uh, of the uh, Great Tribulation and the beginning of the millennial kingdom when all unbelievers removed from this earth and only those left who were saved being brought into their inheritance, right? What a dramatic <laughs> transition that will be. Okay, now let's look at Stephen. Stephen's death, as I said, initiated the great transition through Saul, who will be renamed Paul. And I want us to understand the significance of Stephen's death from God's point of view. So, Linda, I'd like you to read for us from Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 60. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid, their clothes, laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And then they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Oh, my. Thank you for reading that again for us here. I want it to be stuck right in the front of our minds, right? Instead of God destroying his greatest enemy. We've got Saul here representing Israel's leaders, represent, working directly for the high priest, okay, and bringing a death sentence against this uh, innocent disciple named Stephen, okay? And uh, so instead of God destroying the enemies of Israel and of this great work, this great Pentecostal work, Instead, he's going to do something very special with this man, Saul. And what, what an amazing thing that is, right? So the spotlight here now, you, you might think it's on Stephen. Well, it was, but now that's rapidly changing to this other individual who was present there. Think about them all gathered together there around Stephen as he's preaching. Think of them. They're in the temple, right? I guess it was Solomon's porch. Uh, it was a common gathering place there <clears throat> and a larger public area there in the temple. And they're all gathered around Stephen. who's preached this amazing message. I hope you've spent some time on uh, studying that. But uh, there's great benefit in that, of course. But uh, gathered around there, 
uh, are, you know, those that rule Israel, religiously speaking, right? And um, amongst them is this young man, Saul. And so he brings the formal accusation. They take Stephen out of the temple and out of the city. They didn't want to corrupt their local area, and they stoned him to death there with Saul, Saul holding his garments. And that was the nature of the formal uh, accuser, really, who held the garments of the one being stoned. Okay, so that's where we've come. The nation of Israel is thoroughly corrupted by their leadership. Their many centuries of rebellion against God sort of comes to real fruition again here. First of all, in delivering the Lord Jesus over to death, and now delivering uh, this powerful speaker and um, amazing man, Stephen. I mean, you read that message of Stephen's and you'll say, I've never read a summary of Israel's history that's so powerful as this. And in that message, he specifically pointed at and accused Israel's leaders for uh, this rebellion that was occurring, right? And blamed them for Christ's death as well. How about that, right? So they'd been considered ignorant before. Are they still ignorant? Uh of the plan of God? Absolutely not, because uh, Stephen has uh, preached boldly concerning Christ's glorious resurrection and the many proofs that Christ is their own long-awaited Messiah. This brings us to Acts chapter 9. And uh, so uh, I'd like us to begin reading there concerning how God intersects with this man Saul's life in such a dramatic way. So, Lydia, I'd like you to read for us Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Then Saul, still breathing threats from murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Thank you, Lydia. <clears throat> very, very good. So what do we see here? We see right into Saul's heart. Uh, this man, Saul, has been trained up by a man named Gamaliel. You learn about that in Acts chapter 22, verse He's been trained by Gamaliel, and we heard, uh, read about Gamaliel there uh, last time, I think, how he said, be careful if you oppose this, for if this is the work of God, he will surely suffer great loss, right? <clears throat> um, Gamaliel was Saul's teacher. Um, but Saul's heart is darkened, and he is thoroughly opposed to this work of God and considers it, in fact, to be evil, to, to be a work of Satan. And so he opposes it in every possible way. It says here, he's breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Um, he thought 
his condemnation of Stephen was a great success, in other words, a great victory against Israel's enemies. That's how corrupt Saul's heart was. His arrogance is just kind of indescribable, really. I mean, he he wants to go to Damascus and uh, basically kidnap any disciples he finds there and in chains bring them to Jerusalem to be stoned to death, just like Stephen has been. That's what Saul's intentions are. But verse 3 says, as he journeyed towards Damascus, suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. You know, a light from heaven could certainly illumine one's rebellious heart. (laughs) Uh, Could it not? And that's exactly what happened to Saul. His whole life was caught up in a moment uh, under this uh, spotlight brought from heaven by the Lord himself. And Saul saw himself as he truly was. What a miracle indeed this was. Nobody else who was with Saul that day uh, knew exactly what was happening. They just kind of heard this voice, and I don't even think they understood the words. It was an indistinct voice. But Saul heard the words uh, that the Lord Jesus spoke there to him. And so uh, amazing was this uh, so amazing was this great miracle where Paul, Saul, well, to be renamed Paul eventually, uh, will be set forth as this great example of God's marvelous grace, right? Um, well, that's uh, the salvation of Paul, the salvation experience. But now we go on. The Lord calls Saul to salvation through this very voice of Jesus himself. And let's read about that and hear those very words that Saul heard uh, recorded here for us by Luke in Acts chapter 9. And uh, Gail, please read for us verses 4 through 8. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why thou persecutest me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, why? what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Well, thanks, Gail, for reading us this great, great miracle of God. And uh, there are several things involved here. Not only what's visible, right, but that which is invisible. The greatest work here is what's happening in Saul's heart. I mean, he'd had a heart of stone, and now all of a sudden that's being directly uh, changed by the Lord himself, right? And the Lord's words to Saul are compelling. Saul's response is, 
here am I, right? <laughs> uh, what must I do? I'm not surprised. Remember, Saul's whole view of God was uh, as a ruler who required mankind to to keep the law, right? And so he's saying, okay, I guess I've really gone astray. Something needs to change. Lord, what must I do? And uh, the response is, arise, go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. And so he uh, <laughs> he does. He arises. He His eyes are blinded temporarily, and that will go on for three days. And that brings us to the next section here where it's, his commission is revealed. In these words, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. A man named Ananias is going to receive a vision. Okay. And that vision has to do with Saul. Ananias is a little uh, uh, shocked when the Lord speaks to him, though, <laughs> and says, wait a minute, we know about Saul. We know a lot about him. He's, he's your enemy. Don't you realize that? And, and Ananias uh, is uh, told by the Lord, he is a vehicle uh, I have chosen, and uh, what a wonderful thing this is. Let's uh, let's read about that, and for that, I'd like Anne to read in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name, before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Thank you, Anne. Oh, so Ananias is chosen to be the vehicle to bring uh, sight back to Saul and also uh to reveal to him this great revelation. This revelation is, and I'm sure Ananias uh, told Saul this because, of course, it was the main thing he needed to do to set Saul on a proper course. And those words were, go thy way. I said, saying this to, uh, to Ananias, for he is, meaning Saul is, a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then the next verse is sort of key. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Saul would be a chosen vessel. He will be miraculously healed of his blindness at this point. Baptized with water, water baptism, a very significant uh, Jewish ceremony that uh, would be applied in this case, as it had been <clears throat> so many times in those earlier chapters there in the book of Acts. And then the filling with 
the Holy Spirit, as many others had also experienced. So Paul responds greatly strengthened, it says in the next verses, and begins to preach Christ immediately. (laughs) And what does he preach? That he is the Son of God and that he is the very Christ. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, that brings us to the last section here for today. Um, We're just sort of looking at the history here today just to get through the chapter, but uh, we'll be tying some some things together here next time, Lord willing, about what this all signifies. But uh, certainly God is uh, doing something different than before. He's raising up a new apostle. And uh, through Saul, to be renamed Paul, a new ministry, uh, focused on the Gentiles. And we'll see how distinctive that is. And I'd like um, um, Elizabeth just to read three verses here because it it brings us right to the point where we see how the Lord will humble Saul uh, and that will be a mark of the Lord's work in this man, humbling, humbling, humbling. So uh, Elizabeth, please read Acts 9, 23 through 25. Now after many days <clears throat> excuse me now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket <laughs> thank you elizabeth i stopped there by the way um, because paul when he's giving testimony concerning how the Lord worked in his life as the apostle to the Gentiles, highlights this specific event. Uh, He says, I will rather boast in my infirmities. And he uses this example, being let down by the wall in a basket. Well, did Paul consider this to be A great miracle of God? Well, yeah, God delivered him. But how did he deliver him? It wasn't by defeating his enemies. He was let down in a basket. How humbling. And yet Paul says, I'd rather boast in my infirmities. In the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, focuses specifically on that, uh, where the Lord tells Paul, my grace is always sufficient for you and Paul's response I will rather therefore boast glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me how is God going to work under grace not through signs wonders and miracles but through a power that transforms the rebellious spirit of man and brings great glory and joy to his people. It's a spiritual transformation indeed, is it not? Well, that's uh, where we've come here today. Instead of judging God's enemies, he raises up his greatest enemy at the time named Saul. Transforms him 
and makes him a vessel of mercy. He will break that vessel in order to show forth his glory time and time and time again. But grace will abound. And Israel, as we shall see as we go ahead here in the book of Acts, will be increasingly set aside as uh, the central uh, focus of God's great work. Instead, the message of grace will go out to the Gentiles, and as we shall see eventually, the promise is given that they will hear his message, whereas Israel's leaders did not. The nation will be set aside in a new elect group created the body of Christ. Praise God for his abundant grace. Well, that's where we've come today. Uh, Paul has been saved dramatically and gloriously, and even Peter will be convinced. That's an amazing thing. Even Peter will be convinced. We'll look at that next time, Lord willing. Amen. Any uh, comments uh, from anyone today? Louis, are you there? Uh, hi, Jim. I just try to piece together the timeline based on the uh, scripture, uh, mm-hmm. literally. Okay. So when I read Acts chapter 9, verse 20, after the uh, conversion saw, he immediately preached Christ in the yeah. synagogue. Yes. Then I looked at Galatians. One seven, uh, one seventeen. And he said, Neither I went out to Jerusalem to them which are apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So, how does that work? How does it fit in there? Did he start preaching in the synagogue after the conversion immediately? where he went to Arabia. No, uh, <clears throat> he immediately preached like it says, but there was increasing rebellion and resistance. And due to that, he fled to back to Tarsus. And then all those other events occurred because the Galatians uh, account there is about the resistance and how those who were leaders in Jerusalem, and not meaning the unbelievers, but the 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 apostles themselves, right, had had begun to oppose the truth of grace. That's the whole point of Galatians, right? To, that God is changing the actual program from the Pentecostal period. So, yeah, I think he did. He he began to preach immediately and. Uh, in Jerusalem, just like it says, and a little bit later, those other events occurred. That's my opinion. Okay, any other comments today? Okay, let's let's thank the Lord. Father God, thank you for gathering us again. And as we read these words, Father, I'm thinking of Stephen's great speech that day. Uh, summarizing the whole history there of uh, um, your calling out uh, this nation uh, under Abraham and then uh, then the patriarchs, then the kings, and finally uh, in Jerusalem itself and how 
the leaders of Israel, they're uh, the religious leaders of your people. They uh, conspired against those that uh, stood for truth and stood for the resurrected Lord Jesus uh, and were willing to be sacrificed for his sake. So, Father, we saw that boldly preached and then how you uh, uh, allowed you allowed Stephen to be martyred, but uh, of course, uh, I drew him to yourself eternally, but then raised up this uh, great enemy, Saul, who really was to be the vehicle that you would use to bring the knowledge of grace to Israel's knowledge and also to the Gentiles. Father, what a great message that is, and may we take these words to heart. And since we've all, Father, experienced this great intersection in our own lives where we've been transformed by the power of your grace and the power of the the gospel, Father, I pray that we would be always aware of where we stand with you, that it is by virtue of your grace and your love that we are what we are. Paul learned that through many trials, and we are the same. So, Father, please uh, encourage us this week. Uh, There are many challenges, for sure. Um, And we sense a great darkness uh, overwhelming our land. But, Father, we know that the light still shines brightly, and it shines in our hearts and from us out into uh, that darkness, too. And nothing can really stop that, Father. Your power of grace continues to work and always will until we're finally caught up into your presence. So, Father, may that be our hope and expectation to hear that call, that voice, that shout, to be caught up into heaven's glory. And so shall we ever be with you. So, Father, I look forward and I pray that all under the sound of our voice here today would do the same. And we do thank you in Christ's precious and Christ's holy name. And amen and amen. All.